Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome to Clear Eyes, Full Hearts, a podcast presentation of Cadence 13 in association with Black Barrel Media and Ritual Productions. This is an episode-by-episode look at the award-winning TV show Friday Night Lights created by Peter Berg. I'm Stacey Orstano. I played Mindy Collette Riggins. I was trying to figure out where that breath went. It goes <laughs> and I'm Derek Phillips, and I played <gasps> Billy Riggins. Our assumption is that you, our listeners, have already watched the show. But if you haven't already, go watch Friday Night Lights, which is currently streaming on Netflix and Peacock TV, because there will be spoilers in our podcast. And as always, we still have merch. That's right. So many of you guys have already purchased stuff, but please go check out our new website designed by Eleanor Carez, who is at Eleanor Carez on Instagram. Our website is www.cleareyesfullheartspod.com. That's cleareyesfullheartspod.com. We've got hoodies and, you know, t-shirts and mugs and stickers and all kinds of cool stuff. So please go check it out. And we still want to answer your fan questions. Email us anything you'd like to know at cleareyesfullheartspod at gmail.com. Today, D. Yes. Season two of Episode 9, The Confession, written by Bridget Carpenter and directed by Allison Lady Brown. The synopsis from NBC says, Landry confesses to the murder of Tyra's attacker, but continues to struggle with his conscience. And tension continues to build between Tammy and Julie. This is another action-packed episode, but before we get into the highlights, we're going to answer a few fan questions. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. All right. Our first question comes from Brandon Holiday, who writes, I love the show. I'm so glad I found the podcast. FNL is by far the greatest show of all time. That's high praise. And I'm glad Billy humbled himself at the Seven Senoritas Cantina (laughs) and asked for Mindy's hand in marriage. Seasons four and especially five were great with you two. I have a lot of questions, but I'll start with this. What happens to the cars that were used on the show, like Tim's (laughs) truck? Coach Taylor's Explorer and Tammy's Maxima, etc. That's a great question. Frankly, I don't know what happened to a lot of those I trucks. N- I know you can buy them at the yeah. end if you want them, but is there like a graveyard of show cars or something? Probably. I mean, well, Tim's truck was also two different trucks. So they had one truck that actually ran and one that they could kind of bruise and batter. I don't know, man. I wish I had the answer to that question. You know what, though? We're going to have Nan Bernstein on here in, in a little bit, and she will know exactly what happened, all that stuff. We'll remember that. Do you know if there's a museum of lost luggage 
I think it's in Detroit or somewhere. And a lot of the luggage that is like, quote unquote, lost is props and stuff that they used in movies that they just don't need anymore. So they just kind of leave it. And some of it is in this museum. So I went to school in Waco at Baylor University. And right when I graduated, I moved to New York and I had a big box. My mother passed away when I was five years old. There was like pictures of her that are just gone, but they were in this box. All the pictures I had from my high school, yearbooks from high school. I had a class ring from high school. All this like sentimental stuff was in one box and I shipped it out to New York and the box got lost in transit. Oh, God. To me, it was also kind of like a sign like, hey, man, don't live in the past. It's all about the future and all about moving forward. I just kind of took it as like an omen to like move on from my life. I'm not kidding, though. 20 years later, I get an email from my old high school and the secretary in the high school says, hey, somebody found a class ring with the name Derek on it. Or actually, it said Slurp. That was my nickname in high school, Slurp. Slurp. Yeah. So it said somebody found a high school ring with the nickname Slurp on it. And it's got a football helmet that says 32. And there's a wrestler on the back. And in the middle, like underneath the gemstone is the faces of comedy and tragedy, which is an acting thing. And I'm like, that's my class ring. And she was like, okay, I'll get you in touch with the person. I get in touch with the guy and the guy worked at a UPS facility. I think it was UPS. I don't want to throw a UPS under the bus, <laughs> but he worked at some facility. I think that's who I shipped it through though. What they did is the box got lost in transit. There was no markings on it or whatever. And what they would do is they would pull out all the valuables out of these things, I guess. And he took the ring because he was like, oh, this looks like about my size. He was about to get married and tried the ring on and had the ring sitting in a drawer in his house for like 20 years. And then he and his wife, like 20 years later, they were moving from that house. And his wife was like, what, what is this thing? You got to try and figure out whose ring this actually is. And the guy went online and it said Westminster on the ring. And so he did a little homework and got in touch with the secretary of my high school who got in touch with me. And I got the ring back 20 years after it was lost in the mail. That's insane. That's crazy, right? You're like, um, P.S. Do you have any of the other of the things from my box? <laughs> no. And he didn't. When I asked him about it, he was like, look, man, all that stuff was gone. They would pull pieces of jewelry out of, of things so or, or anything that was potentially like valuable, valuable. Like, I don't know mm. what they do with it. Anyway, that has absolutely nothing so to do with Brandon Holiday's question. <laughs> do you know Mindy had a Camaro? She has a purple Camaro. I think we only see it once or twice starting in season three. Mm -hmm. I really liked that car. I should have bought it. I had like a Firebird or something like that. Yeah. And I drove it one time. Well, two times. One time the scene got cut. They would buy a lot of those cars, though, just so they would have them for the run of the show. And then afterwards, I think they just sell them. Guys, quit asking us such hard questions. Yeah, Jeez. seriously. But we're going to ask Nan Bernstein when she's on the show. She was our line producer. I'm making a note of it now. Okay. Are you ready for the second question? Yes. It comes from Libby. Who wants to know, have all the primary actors who appeared on the show already been contacted regarded coming on the podcast, or do you wait until they have a significant storyline coming up? If my pretend husband, Michael B. Jordan, ever shows up on the podcast, I'll be forever grateful. I do know, like, we can't hit up Gray Damon and Matt Loria and Michael B. and Journey and all those guys yet, but they do know the podcast is happening, and they definitely know that we're going to, like, hit them up soon. <laughs> and there have been people that have reached out to me that have been like, dude, why haven't you called me? Yet. And I'm like, dude, you don't come in until season four. It's Pump one the season two. Yeah. Calm down. So we're kind of trying to do it, not episode by episode, but year by year. We'll go like five episodes in advance and try to say, okay, well, who do we have in this season or in this episode? or in this block of episodes that would be important to have on the show. And so, yes, we are planning on reaching out to every one of those actors mm -hmm. at some point in time, but we haven't reached out to everybody yet. Not everyone. And who, if it's a 
sometimes a scheduling nightmare, but don't worry, guys. We got some good ones coming up and we're working on it. There is method to this madness. Sort of. Derek and I are still figuring it out. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, our final question comes from David V, who asks, what happened to Santiago, the Sandman? He just seems to disappear. As far as season two is concerned, I think when the writer's strike happened, the writers were stuck in kind of this quandary. It's like, okay, do we pick up right at the end of season two? Like, do we do like the last three or four episodes that we had had planned and have them go to state and blah, 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 and show all that? And then what do we do? Do we have a whole entire season where it's just off season? And they were like, no, I think we need to go back to the old strategy, which is it's about football. So we're just going to skip straight into it's the third year of Dylan high school football. You know what I mean? And so with that, there were a lot of storylines that kind of got put aside. I don't know exactly why the Santiago storyline was put on the shelf. I can ask Nan Bernstein once again when she's (laughs) on here. But yeah, there were a lot of storylines, unfortunately, that because of that just kind of ended. They got a lot of flack for that second season. And I think that the writers just moved on from that second season and said, hey, we're starting afresh. We never talk about Carlotta again. We never talk about Mm -hmm. Santiago. We never talk about the murder. We never talk about any of the things that really happened in that second season. It's almost like that second season happened in a void. And then we just move on to the third. And we talk about the writer's strike a lot. I don't know. Like We won't get super into it, but they were striking for just fair wages and things that they needed. And when any one of our unions does go on strike, the other unions have to follow suit. So it's the writer's guild, the director's guild, the producer's guild, and then SAG, the actor's union too. We're all like sister unions. So we do what the other ones do. So when the writers finally did decide to strike, we follow suit and get in picket lines with them. We're not allowed to work if they're striking. Just in general, you can't work if there's no writers. That's true. (laughs) All right, guys, thank you so much for your questions. Please send us any more that you have to our email. Now we're going to get into this episode. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is probably my favorite cold open that FNL has done. It was short. It was sweet. It was intense. I cannot fathom what Landry's dad is feeling, knowing that Landry's in that room doing what he's doing. Yeah, Landry's in the room confessing, basically. But on top of not just confessing, it's like these detectives are trying to get him out of the situation that he's in. (laughs) Everybody is. It's like, oh, you don't say that. How about we say it like this? And he's like, no, I want to say it like this. It was beyond crazy. Oh, and then we jump right into Matt in bed with Carlotta. Grandma busts in looking for her snack wells. I love that she just looks at the form that's on the bed and it's like Matt and Carlotta curled up in the sheet. It just looks like Matt is like a five-armed monster and Grandma's like, yep, sure, whatever. That scene made me cackle though. Luann, just almost every time she comes on screen, she just crushes everything she does. This does not bode well. It's never a good idea to start having sex with your roommate. That sounds personal. We'll talk about that later. No, listen, we all know this is not going to go well, but also Matt's at a more pleasant place right now. The guy needed a break. He's gotten a break. He's hooking up with cheerleaders. <laughs> He's messing around with Carlotta. I mean, this guy's got women beating down his door. What happened to our little Maddie Saracen? Oh, Maddie. Meanwhile, this whole entire scene with Julie and Connie, I, I love Connie's response to Julie asking if the apples are organic. 
And Connie says, I doubt it. Seriously, sweetie, they were on sale. But this whole entire scene, it's just relatable. I grew up in a family that didn't have a ton of money. And my mom was always trying to save money where she could. And I just remember this one time my buddy Chris Moreno was over. <laughs> Of course, it was Chris. And he came out of the bathroom and he was complaining about how terrible the toilet paper in the Phillips household was because my mom bought like the cheapest toilet paper she possibly could. The stuff was like sandpaper. And it was also one of these things where as a child, like you're kind of embarrassed about the fact that my stepmom had this... this terrible toilet paper that she bought. And it was one of these things where like as an adult, I'm like, I will never chintz on, mm -hmm. on toilet paper. I will always have nice toilet paper. No matter how bad things are mm -hmm. in my life or how terrible things are, I will always have good toilet paper. So Chris Moreno <laughs> has a safe place. <laughs> a, a safe place to go? Yes. Chris, you're taken care of. Don't she worry. She literally threw a toilet paper roll at his head. I would have too. And God bless my stepmom. I mean, she had three boys that she was taking care of. Two of them weren't hers. She had a house full of boys. House full of boys. The whole idea of like putting the toilet seat down was like, yeah, that's not happening. I mean, you know how many times this woman fell into a toilet growing up? I'm sorry, mom. I apologize as well. But seriously, could you have bought some decent peanut butter? <laughs> We always had knockoff peanut butter growing up, too. Knockoff peanut butter tastes amazing. It does way. not. No. It does. I, I don't want that it's generic like peanut butter. sugar. It's give me some of that. Yeah, give me some Jif. Give me some Skippy, mom. Come on. And even now, when I go home, like, they, they're doing okay. They've got money, mm -hmm. but they still got the generic stuff. Come on, guys. Yeah, you got to just live in it. Live in your truth. <sighs> she was like the Nan Bernstein of our family. Nan Bernstein was a line producer on Friday Night Lights. And if it weren't for Nan Bernstein, this show would not have survived. And it's the same thing with my stepmom at home. It's like because of her budgeting, because of the fact that she was clipping coupons, we actually had a roof over our heads. So I am appreciative. Oh, I also wanted to say that this coach and Tim scene had me cackling because coach is telling Tim that as the athletic director, he says, I've been looking for someone who owes me a favor. Someone who's been disrespectful and shown a great deal of selfishness. Can you think of anyone off the top of your head? And Kitsch just deadpan tells him, top of my head, first guy that comes to mind is probably Williams. And I just had me laughing because it's like, you idiot. He's obviously talking about you. These two, I mean, it's what FNL does so well. It's the comic stylings of two very different people. And we're going to get more of them together in the next couple of episodes, too. It was like a mono a mono of who can do the best deadpan comic delivery. Just people talking like this. See, you could do it better. And we'll see, because coming up in a second, we've got Herc, who does a nice deadpan, and it may even be better than these two. They're also good at that. I do have to say in this Herc, Jason scene, when they talked about screech porn, maybe that had come out right at that time, but I was like, well, that's a deep dive. It was. That's a cut. I'm going to be honest with you. There's more that comes in this episode, and it's just one of these things where it's like, totally feels a little off for FNL. A little off. Here's the other thing, too, and I think it's because it's uh -oh. a personal thing for for me, the girl that Street winds up going on a date with is named Kathleen Hayes. Her name was previously Kathleen Ham, but she was a part of Second Thought Theater, which was the theater company that I ran in Dallas with Steve Walters and Joey Oglesby and uh, Allison Tolman mm -hmm. from Fargo. And Babs. And our friend Barbara. Actually, a lot of people that actually appeared on Friday Night Lights. But yeah, this was our theater company in Dallas. Kathleen was a part of it. And Kathleen is the girl that winds up going on a date with Street later in this episode. But it was weird because Kathleen's such a like, nice girl that like all of a sudden to be the P girl was just weird and odd. It's, I remember yeah. she told me that she was going to be on the show and she's like, I go on a date with Jason and I'm into P. And I was like, on Friday Night Lights? And she goes, yeah. And I was like, oh God. Yeah. She's 
like almost a little embarrassed about it. And I was like, no, that could be so fun. This is the moment I was talking about though, too, when we were talking about Coach and Tim's deadpan scene. Herc crushes it. The minute Miss Street comes in and she's got carrots and cookies and Herc's like, oh man, that's loaded with beta carotene. Right after Street's mom tries to hand them off some some carrots and they're looking at naked women online. He goes, you need to get out of this place. And I think that that starts to get the ball in motion with Street that maybe he does need to get out of this place. Herc has never said more true words, I think. He's 19. He needs to get out from under his parents' place. It's time to be an adult. Just yes is all I'm saying. I was thinking while I was watching this, the show's not about me, but right now I'm going to make it about me. How rotten of a sister am I that I know none of this that's happening to my sister? Like what Tyra is going through? She doesn't trust me enough to be a confidant and I'm not aware of anything weird because Mindy does not care. Yeah, you're a terrible sister. I am. It's okay because I am a terrible brother. And no, this show is not about us and these moments are not about us. But yeah, let's think about it for a second. Like, I I mean, I think I'd win the crappiest sibling award because Mm -hmm. I'm dating my brother's ex-girlfriend and I forced him to move out and he's now living with a meth-dealing, ferret-breeding psycho. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's on you. It's a little on me too because I introduced them. Yeah, we're not doing good. But this scene, meanwhile, let's talk about the actual scene and not us. Oh, oh, the show that we're not in right now? Okay. Yes, yes. That scene, Mr. Clark showing up at Tyra's door and telling her what's going on and that Landry confessed. That was a punch in the gut. It's a punch in the gut. I don't know what he wanted from Tyra out of that. I think he was just trying to tell her and basically forewarn her that, hey, you need to get an attorney because this is going to get hairy and it's going to get bad and you need to protect yourself. I mean, I think he's just trying to be a good guy at this moment. That whole Clark family. I just wrote down Landry Clark is just a good human, but his dad is too. Like they are just good people trying to do right by their family. Maybe too good. Yeah. I mean, because later in this episode, I'm like, yeah, dude, maybe you're too good. But I think you nailed it. I mean, I think Landry is just a good human because Tyra shows up. Landry's like mowing the lawn and Tyra shows up and she's like, what were you thinking? Why would you da, 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 da? And he's like, because I lied and I can't live with the lie anymore. Just eating him inside. And that is, I mean, he's just a good dude. And so many people this episode are like, it was self-defense. It was self-defense. And I'm going, yes, it was self-defense. Yeah. Yes, it. Because yeah. it was. Oh, Landry. Oof. Coach asks Santiago, do you understand me? And I was ready for Santiago to look him dead in the face and go, I absolutely do not because I have never played football. Because I will tell you the string of words that came out of Coach's mouth, if you guys could see Derek's face right now. The string of words that came out of Coach's mouth, I was going, mm, what are you talking about? Yeah, you don't understand it because you're not on the football team, but Santiago's been around long. A week? He's been around a week, but he does know these things. And that's what Coach is getting upset about. It's like, you knew this stuff a week ago, and now you don't know it. And yes, Coach loses his temper with him, but haven't you watched this show long enough to know that when Coach loses his temper with somebody, it's usually Mm. because he knows something that we don't know. He's got a plan. Coach has a plan, except for maybe when he went to TMU. Well, there's that. He's toughest (laughs) on the people he knows need it. Does that make sense? Yes. <laughs> if he pays you no attention or like doesn't give you anything, you're unnecessary. Then you're Bobby Bull Reyes and you're off the squad. Deep dive. Deep dive. Season one. one. Episode three. Oh my yeah. God, Terry. <laughs> anyway, so I do think that there is some method to the madness. It's not just Coach blowing up on this poor kid. I think that he sees potential in there and he's trying to get him to get out of his own way. 
also giving us as an audience just all of this stuff being thrown at Santiago. And I think what I'm getting from what's happening later is he might have a bit of an anxiety issue, which I can very much relate to. We'll see. This Landry in the office scene, I just know how much this is a Jesse Plemons choice that he's sitting there tugging at his collared shirt and his tie because Landry would be so uncomfortable in the getup. And it really adds to the tension in this scene. But you know who else wanted to tug at his shirt in this scene? Me. I want to grab him and I want to shake the hell out of him. I understand that he feels guilt for killing this guy. I do. But I've had it with this self-flagellation. I mean, does he want the friggin' electric chair? It was self-defense. I mean, it's a shame the guy died. The guy's a friggin' rapist. Even if Landry wanted him dead in that moment, it was still self-defense. 100% agree. So it's like, dude, stop. We get it. Like, he wants to pay his penance, but it's it's enough. Yeah. Enough and is enough already. I agree, but I think he's looking a little bit for, like, an eye for an eye. Like, he needs to get yeah. hurt, too. And that's fine. I understand that he feels guilt. I would feel guilt, too, in that situation. I don't think there's any way not to, regardless of the fact that this guy was a piece of crap and what he was doing to Tyra and what he did to Tyra was already awful. But like, come on, man, what do you want? There's still a ton of chemistry between Lila and Street. She shows up at his house and Street gets a phone call from, what was her name, Veronica? <laughs> Our friend Kathleen, the pea girl. She she calls Street and there's this kind of a playful like jealousy there between Lila and Street, but there's still chemistry between these two. But more importantly, it's just nice to see a scene where they're not fighting with each other and they're getting along. Because really and truly, I mean, we know that this was a part of what their relationship was before the accident, but we never really got to see what their relationship was like before the accident. Yeah. I like the banter, yeah. the the little like playful banter that we sort of didn't get to see because we came into chaos at the mm -hmm. beginning. It's nice. So Tim Riggins doesn't want to come to my place of work again because this episode is all about me. Yes. Uh, fine, Riggins, whatever. Yeah, well, see, Riggins' coach has him basically uh, working for the gymnastics squad. He's basically doing all kinds of odd jobs. He's washing softball uniforms. He's holding up the scorecards for the gymnastics squad. But this scene, once again, just cracks me up. Coach comes in there and asks him, how's everything going? He's like, not well. And Stacy just pulled an 8.6. She's not putting in enough effort or whatever it is. It just cracks me up. But also, we got Guy Raston, Joey Oglesby, the ferret guy, the meth dealer, the sex pot mm -hmm. with the mutton chops, showing up at the mm -hmm. gymnastics event and just being creepy. I said event. It's called a meet. He's at the gymnastics meet. And it's, creepy. yeah, it's just creepy. Yeah, I don't want him around those no. young girls. No. I only get this show of ours. I love looking for like the little things. And there was something that just tickled me about Tammy wearing a Panthers t-shirt as her sleep shirt. Because that's, of course, that's where she would sleep in. It's just smart little things yeah. like that. But he also, I'm having mixed thoughts because I watched the episode again this morning. I was agreeing with Tammy that Julie's being a bit of a brat again. And then her whole line about if our daughter is overextended from going to work and coming home, that's not the girl we want to be raising. And I agree. But then I had this thought. Yes. The things that we hate in other people are generally mirrors of things that we don't like about ourselves. And this is my problem with Julie is that I was exactly Julie Taylor. And so honestly, it's a testament to Amy T. Garden with how good she is. And it's actually like guilt, I think, that I'm feeling. Did you find yourself overextended in high school, not doing a whole hell of a lot of extracurricular? No, I did all the extracurriculars, <laughs> but I was just so mean to my mom. <laughs> no, I I mean, we talked about my stepmom earlier in this episode, but I remember I was in high school and she showed up one day. It was my little brother's birthday and she wanted to have a picnic in the park across from my school. And she showed up with cupcakes and I was like, I'm not getting out of this car 
and eating cupcakes in this so park with my little brother on his birthday. Like, are you out of your mind? And I remember she was crying when she got out of the car. Eric. And she got out of the car and they sat there and ate cupcakes at this picnic table. And I remember sitting there in our car, windows rolled down, sweltering heat in Miami, just sitting there like stubborn, not getting out of the car. And she sat there crying while she like celebrated my little brother's birthday at this park. Derek, honestly, that makes me cry. It makes me cry. I'm 45 years old. And to this oh, day, I, I've apologized to my stepmom profusely about this. Dee, I think next time you're down there, you need to get a box of cupcakes and take your family to that park and eat cupcakes with them. I think that's actually a good idea. All the rungs will be righted and you and I will both stop crying. The problem is that I don't think my two little brothers will want to go with me. Like, you want to do what? Get in the car. Get in the car right now. (laughs) Again, I wrote down that I don't understand how Landry cannot see that what he did was self-defense. Yeah. You know what I wrote down? It's pissing me off (laughs) that he can't see that. Like, it's like, dude, but I'm glad that yeah. finally in this scene, Tyra talks some sense into him because he's overflagellating himself. He's done with it. He says, were you scared for your life? And she says, yes. Because of course she was. And so I think at this point, he can let himself off the hook a little bit because he realizes that she was genuinely afraid for her life, that this guy was yeah. going to rape her and potentially kill her. Twice. Okay. Oh, Landry. So I think Landry finally lets himself off the hook. Thank God. Thank you, Tyra, for <laughs> shooting some sense. I have to say, seeing Tiago in the car with Buddy, when he blurts out, what is the point of all this? I sort of had the same question. What is the point of all what, Stacey? Are you going to say, what is the point of football? Football being the be-all and end-all of everything. What's the point? What's the end game here? My mouth is a game. I know, I'm sorry. Number one, this show points out that football is not the end-all, be-all, and it shouldn't be. I mean, but there are wonderful, in my opinion, wonderful life lessons to be learned by playing sports. You learn teamwork, you learn commitment, tenacity, discipline, responsibility to others. And these are things that you're going to need to have if you want to have any kind of success in life. Now, I'm not saying that you have to play sports to have success in life. I'm saying that these are things that you can learn through playing sports that will carry over into your everyday life. Because let's be honest, 99.9% of us are not going to be NFL football players. No, and there's an end date to that even too. You can't do that forever. There's an end date for all of us that played sports. And for most of us, it's high school. For a very small portion of the population, it's college. And then for an even smaller Mm -hmm. portion of the population, it's the NFL or pro sports. I mean, and that's 1%, less than 1% that actually makes it to that level. I do think that there's too much onus put on becoming an NFL football player. It's the same thing that I tell people that have a child that wants to get into acting. I'm like, if you want your child to get into acting, I don't think there's anything wrong with it. Where I think there's a problem is where you start pressing your child to start auditioning, trying to get on TV shows. It's like, no, dude, go take acting classes, learn about acting because there's wonderful life lessons in acting. The same way that there are in football. The great thing about acting you got to play somebody that's outside of yourself. It automatically forces you to have empathy for people that are unlike you because you're forced to play characters that aren't like you. I play Billy Riggins. There's a lot of aspects of Billy that are very similar to who I am. But there's a lot of stuff about Billy that I'm like, dude, that is not me at all. So I have to figure out why this person would do this thing that is completely and totally foreign to me. I would never date my brother's ex-girlfriend. Why would Billy date his brother's ex-girlfriend? And that's what an actor has to do. So there's life lessons there. Same thing with football. There's life lessons there. Coach is saying, hey, man, there's life lessons here playing football. Coach isn't a professional football player, but he's teaching these life lessons that were taught to him. He's trying to spread these to these young men to make them better men. And Buddy just wants to win state. Hey, Eric, I see potential in the Sandman. I see uh, uh, another glistening Dylan championship ring. (laughs) I understood and felt Santiago in that moment. 
I get it too. But I think the reality is I think that Santiago knows deep down in his heart that he's been half-assing it. And that his anxiety is starting to bubble up. I think there's a massive fear of failure. I've seen it in friends of mine. I've seen it in people that are amazing actors. I've seen it in amazing athletes. This fear of failure. A little self-sabotage. This is no joke. I'm not going to name names, but I had a roommate in New York. This guy had a major meeting with a big agency. Agencies named Abrams. For those of you in the business, you know, Abrams is one of like the top maybe 10 agencies in the business. Mm -hmm. This guy had a meeting with Abrams the next day and he calls me. I was at work and I was like, dude, I'm at work. The minute I get done, I'll be home. We can run through this monologue as much as you want to. I got home at like midnight. He never shows up. One o'clock, two o'clock, three o'clock, four o'clock in the morning. I hear him stumbling into the apartment and he's drunk and his meeting with Abrams is at nine o'clock in the morning the next day. And I know what he's doing. He's scared to death that if he goes in there Mm -hmm. and he gives 100% and they don't sign him, then what does that say about me? To know that your best Mm -hmm. may not be good enough. So just never do your best. (laughs) And then it's never your fault. But that's not how you can live your life. And I think Coach sees that in Santiago right now. He knows that the kid's not given 100%. And he knows that he's not living up to his potential. And that's why he jumps on him. Because Santiago's got this crippling fear of failure. And if you look at the way he was raised, what he's experienced thus far, I think that he believes that he's a loser. That's what the society has told him so far. So like he doesn't know anything different. And in this particular case, coach and buddy aren't going to let him give up on himself. I think Santiago is spitting some truth there because I think when you go down and analyze it, is it really important whether or not Dylan beats Arnett Mead in the overall scheme of things? No. No. It means nothing. No, it means nothing. Okay, so we had screech porn and now this girl wants street to pee on her. I just had a moment of being like, am I am I still watching Friday Night Lights? She throws a drink on the waitress. And I just feel like there's a lot of people not overacting, overreacting in this episode. I'm not going to lie. I have always thought that this scene was just a little out of place on Friday Night Lights. And I always felt bad for Kathleen, who I've known for years and before she was on the show. I wish that we could have found a better scene for her, but I'm just happy she got to be on it. But no, she's the pee girl. She's the pee girl. Oh, you're the, oh, oh, you're you're the, the pee girl. You're the pee girl. Oh, you're the tattoo girl. Oh, you're the pee girl. <laughs> you know, at least Joey was like ferret guy. Ferret guy. Steve is mouth rapist. Yeah, he does. He kisses Connie later. Hope I'm not spoiling things, guys. <laughs> this sound engineering, sound editing that happens when Santiago goes into the game, I loved. I knew exactly what I was supposed to be feeling and I was with Santiago in that journey. It's just like his breath and his anxiety and everything else is a little like underwater. Yeah, it's it. it's a really beautifully shot sequence by Benny who plays Santiago. And kudos to director Allison Liddy Brown who we've talked about on this show before. She's directed multiple episodes, but she always brings it. She does action shots yeah, so well. She does these little montages really, really well. She directed the episode where dad shows back up and And Billy and Tim are sitting there and Tim goes, Billy, dad's here. And it's like right before the game. And that song is starting to build up underneath it. Look, she's multi-talented, but those are the ones that stand out to me. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I'm watching this and you're getting that like Santiago's self-worth is riding on whether or not he can perform in this moment. And the whole battle on this field is not really between him and that pulling lineman. Really, the battle is between Santiago and himself. Can he rise above that fear that all of us have, that little devil that sits on our shoulder and, and taunts us by saying, what if my best isn't good enough? What if my best isn't good enough? What if my best isn't good enough. So to see him succeed, to start conquering those demons, I found this whole scene really inspiring. It's one of the things I love about sports. That thing is always going on with us. Rudy. Rudy. Yeah, it's inspiring. I think that's why sports are so important to me because it is an analogy to life to see a person overcoming obstacles. And we're constantly having to do that daily in our lives, regardless of what field you're in, what profession you're in. You're having to do it with relationships. But this whole montage was just a joy to watch. Derek, you're very 
deep and introspective today. I'm very passionate today, Stacy. You're a little zen, yes. too. You're making me see things outside my little tiny brained box. <laughs> you don't have a tiny brain box. <laughs> Sometimes I do. You just didn't play sports growing up. I did, but I didn't play contact sports. I was a swimmer. So it was just me against myself. I wrestled, and I will say that there is a massive difference between an individual sport, because in that individual sport, it's you against the other guy, but it is you against yourself. It's all the stuff. It's you in your head. It's me against myself. Yeah. There's something different about a team sport. I played both. You know it's what I mean? true. Matt, Matt, Maddie, Matt, stop forever taking relationship advice from Brian Smash Williams. It's never going to work. He's never right. Yeah, I think that goes for everyone in Dillon, Texas. Please stop taking relationship advice from oh, Smash. The one guy who is consummately single on this show. I have to tell you, I could viscerally smell that room full of ferrets. I know that smell so well. I can tell you that I have worked in that location and I can verify that like the Riggins fridge, it <laughs> is an all factory nightmare. One of my professors in college had ferrets and he would sometimes have us over and he had like six of them and they're mm. sweet and they're fun, but there is a very specific ferret smell. My littlest brother used to have spiders. <gasps> no, no, stop. And I don't Why? know what they ate. I think it was like they would eat like dead crickets and stuff, no. but the smell in my little brother's room was... Awful. I couldn't Awful. stay in that house. I wouldn't be able to sleep in your house. Because of spiders? Yes. It was just a big, like, tarantula. Okay. Oh, and we're done. God, I hate them so much. <laughs> so, well, we had Joey Oglesby on before, and you guys can tell. He's, like, one of the nicest people I know. But, man, he plays a good bad guy. He did. Really he played another one on SVU, too, where he was yeah. not a good guy. Well, he plays a total piece of crap in Michael B. Jordan's movie, Fruitvale Station. Fruitvale, yeah. yeah. He plays such a good He's like the primary antagonist in that. He's really good at that. And it is funny because Joey is literally like the nicest He's guy on the planet. So kind. I love this scene, though, where he comes down and he says, go say hi to my friends or whatever. He wakes Tim up with the gun. Mm -hmm, gun in your face. And I love this scene because all the guys, his little crew of misfits that are sitting mm -hmm. there on the couch, Petey, he calls him. He goes, this is Petey, Connor, Shotgun, and Spence. They're all crew members on Friday Night Lights. Yeah. I mean, crews just look ragtag. Anytime you do like a cop show, all the wanted posters in the bullpen are mm -hmm. always crew members. Or sometimes the lineup too, the lineup of yeah. criminals. Yeah. yeah. You know, these guys are working 14-hour days. They're men of the earth. Covered in dirt because they're working hard. Yeah. It's not a fashion show. But yeah, I love that. These are all crew guys. And then on top of it, Joey calls two of them Connor and Spence. That's an improv line. Spence is one of Joey's best friends. Spencer! Spencer Sardi, who's a good friend of ours, actually Joey's best friend. Mm -hmm. And he also says Connor, who happens to be Joey's brother-in-law. So that's a little behind-the-scenes info there. See, we do give you behind-the-scenes specials. Occasionally. Yeah. The more you know, I would like to say... Dear Mr. and Mrs. Street, you're upset now that he didn't come home? First of all, he's 19. Where were you when he was in an entirely different country trying to get an illegal surgery? Now you're upset? Nope. Just because you didn't see it doesn't mean they weren't upset, Stacy. I don't know, man. Unbelievable. He needs to go live with Herc. He does need to go live with Herc. As he said earlier, I think it's time for him to, to get out of this house. Spread the wings and fly Little Angel Street. <laughs> Fly. And just like that, the murder is done, and I find all is right in the town of Dillon, Texas. And all the FNL fans and podcast hosts 
mm-hmm. can breathe a sigh of relief that we will never have to talk about this murder again. We just turned into a true crime podcast and I like it. <laughs> Did you like that? There will be certain guests that come on that we're going to have to talk about it with. When we have okay. Jesse on, we're going to have to talk about we it. We have to. Yeah. But I feel like I'm good. You murdered out? Murder out? Drop the mic. All right, guys, that is the end of our episode today. That's it for season two, episode nine. Yes, but please join us next time for episode 10 with special guest Brad Leland, a.k.a. Buddy Garrity. He's our returning champion here. Brad will be the first guest that we've had on twice. And I think we're probably going to have Brad on every season. I think that just makes sense. Yes, absolutely. But thank you guys so much for tuning in. And until next time, clear eyes. Full hearts. Can't lose. lose. Clear Eyes, Full Hearts is a podcast presentation of Cadence 13 in association with Black Barrel Media and Ritual Productions. Executive producers are Stacey Oristano and Derek Phillips, Chris and Mandy Wimmer for Black Barrel Media, and Steve Walters for Ritual Productions. Our producer is Miranda Parham. Send your questions to clearEyesFullHeartsPod at gmail.com. Find us on social media. I'm Stacey Oristano on Twitter and Instagram. And I'm at Derek Phillips on Twitter and underscore Derek Phillips on Instagram. And check out our websites, ClearEyesFullHeartsPod.com, Cadence13.com, and BlackBarrelMedia.com. Thank you guys for listening, and we'll see you next week.